Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. There are a few of these little uh, um, banks left. There's three or four over here, and I'll get some more and try to get out here. These are to put your coins in to put up here to help us pay for the um, biogas system for, for cooking in, uh, there in Uganda. And I'm not able to tell you what I call this system because my wife said that if I used the term pooperia, she was going to let me come back home anymore. So I can't use that term. Uh, she won't let me to describe what this is all about because you use, they take all the bodily waste from those children, 1,800 kids, and they process it through, it creates a gas that they cook with, and it will save them $57 a day, and, uh, and plus a whole bunch of trees. And, and there, it's, that's an important issue. So I wanted to make, point that out to you. Uh, I think it's important to say, too, that because of this series of sermons primarily about the devil and evil, there will be some overlapping, and I'll repeat some of the things that Matthew said, and, and Rick will repeat some of the things that I've said, but repetition is the key to learning, and that, that doesn't hurt anything. So I want to point that out to you. Now, what I want to do is a little different. Today, I want all of you to take your, pick up your sermon outlines and have them right in front of you and get a pen and a pencil, a pen or a pencil. I want you to fill this in right now. We're going to go through the whole thing and fill it all in because occasionally I run out of time or I overlook something and somebody says, well, you didn't fill this one in. Okay, so we fill them all in. Then we'll talk about the, the subject of Satan and the accuser and we'll have... Um, a uh, couple of little DVDs to start with and so on and so forth. Anyway, let's go look at it here. Under number one, Satan the great dragon, the accuser of Christ's followers. This is from the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation that I will read in just a minute. He, an A, meaning Satan, is an attractive fallen angel. He is an angel. Under B... He has access to God. And you will see that in, in a, a little, it'll have that demonstrated for us and we'll point that out with some clarity in a little later on. Under Roman numeral two, he is an unelected official of this world. And I'll rant and rave a little bit about unelected officials. Under B, Jesus referred to Satan, this is in 12th chapter of John, as the prince of this world. He is a ruler of this world. And we need to understand who he is. And some people in our world today say, "Ah, oh, Satan is something that people dreamed up, blah, blah. He really doesn't exist. And you know how we know he exists? Because evil exists. And because evil exists, it has a starting point and it has a cause. You know that God exists because we exist. And creation exists as a testimony to his existence because, as uh, the Greek philosophers used to say, there has to be an unmoved mover who started the movement. And that's what we have here. Now, under Roman number three, Satan has an effective strategy. Um, we go all the way down to D. 
He appeals to natural instincts, to the natural man. That's what he appeals to, and he's very effective at that. Under number four, at the concluding area, how should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how can we effectively deal with the devil? Number one, A, rather, never face him alone. Never face him alone. Under B, learn his methods, because the scripture we'll see says that we can. Under D, make love. And you might want your, your number one priority, and you might want to just write in A-G-A-P-E, agape love, because as you know, there's two kinds. There's a friendly love that you don't have to be a Christian to have. Anybody can be friendly. Lots of non-Christians are friendlier than most of a lot of us. Okay, under, and so you want agape love. And under E, know that you're saved. The book of 1 John was written, and it uses the word know several times in regard to the fact that you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. You need to know that so that you can have a full life now because it's free from fear, and fear is destructive. So the perfect love casts out fear, so that's what we're talking about. Now, what we're going to, I'm going to read the text, and then we'll start off with a little um, a DVD. Here, from the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, um, here's, here's the way it reads, and we'll start uh, with well, verse 7 of, the, of chapter 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent, here there's a reference back to Eden, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. You might want to circle that. This is his objective. This is his goal that we'll get to in a minute to lead the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, this is where we get the title, accuser of our brethren. The word Satan means accuser. And I'll ask you that again. The word Satan means, that's its definition. Equals, Satan equals accuser. Who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. But the good news is they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, meaning Jesus, on the cross. And by the word of their testimony. And we'll talk about your testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now... What the biblical writer has done here in the book of Revelation is he, he, since no one has ever seen the devil, and they haven't, since no one has ever seen him, the biblical writers use illustrations that help us understand who he is and what he does. There's no effort to draw a picture of him. It is simply, here's how he operates. Here's what he does. And here's how to recognize him. So I want you to go to, with me now to a court scene with an accuser. 
in a court scene, one that you've already seen, many of you. And then uh, on the other side of the, he's the prosecutor, he's the accuser, and that's Satan. And then on the other side is the Lord, he, go, he is our go-between, he's our attorney that stands before the living God. So it's a court scene with God who is on the throne, Satan as the accuser of the brethren, and then Christ as our defender. We're just going to show you the prosecutor and his part and show you how, God, how Satan uses people to accomplish his purpose. Watch this. Is the plaintiff prepared to make its opening statement? We are, Your Honor. And proceed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in a jury of this size, I'm imagining that there are probably among your ranks a few Christians, hopefully practicing ones. <laughs> and that's a good thing, that's fine, because Christianity is not on trial here, even though my opponent will try to convince you that it is. Nor is faith on trial. Only Ms. Wesley is on trial here today. Now ask any fourth grader, and they're probably familiar with the phrase separation of church and state. And that is guaranteed to us under our laws. The plaintiffs are the parents of a student in Miss Wesley's class who was subjected to hearing the teachings of Jesus Christ being favorably compared to the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi. We all know that Jesus is part of a particular religious tradition. These parents who are trying to raise a daughter to be a free thinker, free of any religious dogma, are wholly offended by what went on in that classroom. And she, reciting the words that were allegedly attributed to Jesus, who allegedly lived 2,000 years ago, gave a clear and compelling indication of what she believes, what she supports, what she endorses. Now, let, let me put it this way. I, I don't mean to offend anyone who may be a Muslim here, and I do not want to slight the prophet of Islam, but if you were to ask me a question concerning the Quran, the sacred text of Islam, and I could come up with the answer with great speed and accuracy, and I could quote the proper surah or chapter, then it would be reasonable for you to infer that I was not only a follower of Islam, but that I considered it to be superior to all other forms of religion. If I did this in a house of worship, that would be fine. But if I did it in an 11th grade classroom, in a public school, that would be preaching, not teaching. So why, why in the world are we here today? Why? Because Miss Wesley refused to apologize. And that means that her true motivation in that moment in her classroom was to take an innocent question and turn it into an opportunity to preach, not teach. If we grant Miss Wesley the right 
to do that, and by extension, everyone else, to violate the law based solely on our own private beliefs, then our society will crumble. I believe that. So I implore you, please do not set this precedent. Do not. The future of our republic depends on it. You have seen a prosecutor make his case compellingly, making accusations that were patently untrue. You hear a lot of what that guy said. There is in your Constitution or in the Bill of Rights no statement that says separation of church and state. It isn't there. It's in a letter written to a bunch of Baptists in Connecticut by Thomas Jefferson. And yet it is reported. So what a reason I like this is because we have a prosecutor making false statements in order to accuse the innocent. He allowed himself then to be an instrument of the devil for false accusation by its very definition in the scriptures is being used by the devil. Make you uncomfortable? Not only is he used then as an accuser of the brethren, he's also in some instances, especially in Peter says that he's like a roaring lion. Wrong, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. And so the Bible uses illustrations to help us to understand who Satan is and how he works. Oh, we live in a culture who says, you know, this is a creation of the religious people. Well, we didn't create him, but we have to deal with him because he likes to attack God's people. And remember then that his very word, Satan, means accuser. That's who he is. And he's very real. Now I doubt if anybody has ever seen Satan as he really exists in our world. And so he operates a lot like Jesus did. And only and we'll see this a little later on because he likes to delve into religion. Our, Robert Louis Stevenson is quoted as saying, and I, and I don't have this word for word, but I'm close, as saying, and by the way, he was a Scotsman, and so we're kissing Kim. Robert Louis Stevenson said, one cold and windy day, at the, at the train station in Glasgow, I met the devil. Do you ever wonder what he meant by that? What did he see when he said, I met the devil? I guarantee you, it wasn't somebody wearing red underwear with a long forked tail and horns. My, my, my guess as a man is, because I know how men think, that the devil had a classy chassis. But I don't know that. Because that's money, women, and power are the greatest temptations that men face. 
And so I, I speculate because he didn't go on and say what that is. But you and I need to know when the devil shows up, who he is and how he operates so that we can recognize, you know, this sucker is involved in this thing. Now, the first thing you, you wanted to point out to you if in your outline is he is a very attractive. He takes sin and makes it attractive. And that's the reason I had a tendency to think the way I was thinking. A beautiful woman will get a man's attention if she's got a classy chassis. He'll be looking. And any of you who are shaking your head no are going to go to hell. <laughs> because that's the way it is. And, and we're better off to admit it and to help each other with it than we are to deny it and to be trapped by it. Jesus actually said this in the 11th chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says, and then we'll move quickly on. He says in verse 14 of chapter 11, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's a good looker. Girls, be careful when you go to these. I keep, Matthew keeps talking about these weightlifters, and I saw some of them coming in today, you know, flexing, so on and so forth. I've done my weightlifting nearly all of my life, very effectively. I recommend it to you. You don't have any sore ribs, you don't have any pull muscles, you know. But, but anyway, you go down to the weightlifters, and, I, I, and I, I took one peek with my left eye. And those girls don't have much on. I think, I think we ought to make a rule that men ought to wear longer breeches and women ought to wear more at weightlifting. Because I'm telling you, now this really happened. Several years ago, I made a statement that I wish they'd closed down the country club. You know why? There were girls working out there who were prostituting themselves. And it had broken up a couple of homes. I had people come, well, that's one of the nicest things we got. I said, well, you, 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 you can get a, put a whorehouse on a golf course or you can put it somewhere else, but it's still a whorehouse. And I lost a few friends. Uh, but somebody needs to talk straight about how Satan works and what he's doing. And there's a good reason for that. We read in the 12th chapter how he has access to God and he's, he is the prosecuting attorney. He, he's the one who's bad-mouthing us all the time. But praise God, we have Jesus on the other, sitting in the other seat, saying, these are my people, Father, and I've gone to get them and to give them to you. It's, you're pretty comfortable knowing that you have Jesus talking on your behalf to the Heavenly Father. That's what being born again gets you. So I recommend it. Now let's go on. I, I, number two, Roman number two, I mentioned that Satan is an unelected official of the world. Now, now, now I'm going to rant and rave about politics here. And, and you're not supposed to talk about politics in the church? Who said? Satan. Satan said it. That's where it came from. I am not going to let anybody tell me what I'm going to say. Anybody. It will never happen. And if I want a bad math a politician, he better put on his hard hat and a flak jacket because I'm going to do it if he's got it coming. 
and we've got a few who've got it coming. Now, let me tell you something. I don't like some nasty things going on in our country. It's all caused by the politicians, and we'll see why here in a minute. They have created bureaucracies who are unelected, who have the power to find people for whatever they don't like for them to do. We've got outfits like the EPA, we have, uh, and, and they do some legitimate things, but they oughtn't to have the capacity to, fi to fine us. We should be able to go before a court of our peers and hear ourselves and have a hearing before they can. We should never have to be fined by anybody that's unelected. The IRS is another one. Regulators are everywhere. Okay, I'm for regulation in some areas, but not given the capacity to find, they could only say, okay, this is what they've done. Now they, they have a right to a trial before their peers. Because that's what the Constitution declares to all of us. And we've let that happen. And they say to us, Sir, you preachers don't say what we want you to say, and we'll withhold your tax exemption. Let them try. They tried it one time, and it lasted less than 24 hours. I think it's time we Christians got off of our hind legs and stood up and said, this is what we believe, and the devil himself cannot stop us from living our faith in the world in which we live. Now, having said that, understand that from the very outset of the establishment of the kingdom of God called the church here on earth, government has always, believe it or not, been our number one adversary. And the Bible actually says that. So I don't know why we should be so surprised and act, oh, that's not true. We have to have government. It's ordained of God because people are, are, are evil. So you have to have it. But the temptation of government has always been to play God. And so the writer of the book of Ephesians, who was the Apostle Paul, said, and I quote, For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So we should expect that. But we shouldn't. Shut up about it, because in this wonderful country, we have the freedom of speech to say what we want to say. And we don't want that to go away. Now, it's interesting to me that when you go over to the 12th chapter of the book of, of John, he actually, and this is Jesus talking, refers to Satan as the prince of this world. Now, in the order of things, God is atop, and underneath of that are the princes of this world. And Satan is right up there with the best of them. So don't underestimate his power. Don't underestimate what he can accomplish. And we'll talk about that a little further in a minute. Because 
And, and I'll just read that to you because, you know, people have a tendency when you start talking about these things in the real world, they want you to talk about some little something off somewhere that doesn't really matter. And I don't, I'm soon be 80 years old and I'm only going to talk about the things that matter because I don't have that much time left. And besides that, that's what I was called to do to start with. So here in this 31st verse of the 12th chapter, here's what Jesus said. Now is the time for judgment on his world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, meaning the devil himself. He is a ruler and he brings governments under his subject. You say, oh, that's not true. Are you going to sit there and tell me that Russia isn't under the command of Satan? Say amen. You're going to tell me that China isn't under the rule of Satan? Huh? Is there an amen in the house? You want to go to Pakistan, you want to go, and watch out. Now, we just got through doing something really bad. Are you going to tell me that the same thing's not happening to us in the United States right now? It is. It is. Don't want you praying in a school. Don't want you mentioning the name of Jesus. You can talk about Allah, you can talk about Muhammad, you can talk about Buddha, but don't you mention Jesus. Okay, now I feel better. Let's look at number three where I said that Satan has an effective strategy. Now his goal, as we read in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 9, is the domination of this world. Now, where did he get his strategy? Do you have any idea? He stole God's strategy. Because God's strategy in bringing Jesus into the world was to do nothing less than to preach the gospel to every living soul on the face of the earth and give them the hope of heaven. World domination for the kingdom of God. And ultimately, that's where it's going to be if you read the latter part of the book of Revelation. It's there. It is there. Satan is cast out. And that goal will be achieved. And since Satan copies from God's strategy, how does God get his job done? He picks on people like you and me, and he gives us a calling to accomplish in our world. All of us have the responsibility of being tested to give our testimony. So others can hear what God is doing. All of it. It's not a preacher deal. This is our responsibility. Do you have a story of your conversion and how God has acted in your life? If you don't, you need to develop that story. And when you talk to people, you don't preach to them out of the Bible because you probably don't know it that well to start with. But what you can do is you can tell them your story. And, and, and how... God has not only come into your life, He stayed with you and continued to bless your life, help you through the hard times, whatever your story might be. Get your story and tell. So, and then when it comes to inviting people to the church, it's really easy. Tell them your story. That's why He says here in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, it is the testimony. That's your testimony. All of us need a testimony. In the smaller churches and the rural churches, testimonies were incorporated into the part of the worship service, and I still think it's a pretty good thing. You have to be kind of careful. 
years ago up in Chesapeake in a small church up there where Jim and Rod Hewer and friends of mine, preachers, uh, grew up. On Wednesday night, they had prayer meeting and testimonies. Good things. And this one lady who was a prostitute had come to Jesus Christ. They had baptized her, and she got up to give her testimony, and she started calling names. And they didn't have any more testimonies <laughs> at that church. So there, there are downsides to that, but... Uh, but generally speaking, if you stay away from that, why, I think it, I, the, but the point I have is everybody needs your story, but you may need to hit delete when it comes to names. You may need to do that. Satan is, is really clever in creating fear among people, among Christian people. Even when it comes to our testimony. You know, our stupid politicians are attacking each other because of sin in each other's lives. And we're not hearing anything about what really counts. Nearly all of the politicians that have run our country have been sinners of the first class. President Roosevelt, I just barely remember him, was a tremendous president. But when he died in Georgia, his mistress was with him and his poor wife was still in, in and she didn't take that too hot. President Truman, I never heard anything bad about him when it came to that. President Eisenhower had a girl that drove his car for him and, and kept his bed warm when he was in England. President Clinton probably, I mean President uh, uh, Kennedy, who we all loved, had the fastest zipper in New England. And everybody knows that. So I, I, I'm not interested in hearing their sins. President Reagan was a, uh, was a womanizer until he met Nancy, and I guess maybe she put a lock on his zipper. I don't know. But we need to understand, you know, we need somebody... And it's hard to find anymore. All they're going to talk about is the sins of the people that we already know they're sinners. And Satan has even, see, so, and he's even penetrated the church. The Lord, get, get this. This is just the facts. And she goes, well, you ought to be talking about this. Hey, don't tell me what I'm talking about. I sought the Lord and I know where I'm coming from. And I can defend everything I'm saying. Everything. The large, get this, the largest conference in Methodism had a bishop who was a lesbian. Yeah. And the poor people sitting in the Methodist church, most of whom are believers, really? I mean, the pew sitters. The people who pay are sending their money to support a lesbian woman running the church. She has unlimited power if you're the head dog over a conference. Satan has come into churches and said, you know, well, these people aren't so bad. They're any better than you, any worse than you are. da 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 
had an interesting conversation recently with the president of a college. He said, you know, I don't have any problem with women preachers. And I said, I don't either, as long as they're the husband of one wife. He swallowed hard and he said, well, how did you say that? I'm quoting scripture. We need godly men and we need them who love the Lord so much. They love their wife so much and they ought to be able to go all the way around this church building holding hands, lift up their arms together and say, Satan, you come in this door and you're going to catch hell from us. And that needs to be said. And then we need to do it. We need to do it. We need to know he uses people. He uses Christian people. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about he uses religious people. He accuses them before God and he uses them. I'll give you two illustrations that you know are true. When Jesus was sitting with his disciples at that last supper and he instituted the Lord's Supper that we just had together, he looked over at another guy named Judas and said, go do your dirty work, you devil. Now, he hadn't turned into the devil. Judas probably thought he was doing a good thing. I'm going to put pressure on him so that he will sit in the seat of David and throw out the Romans and do all these good things. I'll put pressure so he'll have to do that. But Satan used him. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples there at the Mount of Mount Hermon, there was a city there then. There's just ruins now. Peter opposed Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter didn't turn into Satan. He was actually a preacher. But he was used by the devil. And he can use you and me too. Now listen carefully. Have you ever participated in telling a story on somebody you didn't like and it turned out not to be true? You know what you did? You made a false accusation. And the very very word for false accusation is the lie of the devil. I suspect that most of us who've lived a few years at one time or another have also been used by the devil. And let me tell you something. Let's go on to the last one here. Never try to face him alone. Why? Well, if you go over carefully uh, in the book of Jude, that's just right before the book of Revelation, little one chapter, It tells an interesting story that probably most of you never heard of. It was Satan and the archangel of God in a dispute with the devil. And they're having a dispute over the body of Moses. Moses died. And so the angels took the body and buried it somewhere because if they hadn't, the Israel would have carried that old dead body around and used it as an idol. And and you said, "Here's, here's the way it reads. But even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. You know why? Satan was that powerful. 
he caused war in heaven. You don't want to face him alone either. That's the reason Acts 2.42, when the church started, here's what happened. <coughs> Excuse me, I need a snort. When the first church first started and Peter preached his sermon and thousands of people were baptized and, and, and then he said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is a study of the New Testament, and in fellowship, that's Acts 2.42, fellowship. Fellowship is where we bear each other's burdens. We share each other's lives. We encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. We need each other. And when we're hanging together and that... That 500 or people, men, godly men, surround this building hand in hand, arms uplifted, eyes toward heaven, praising God. I'm telling you what's the truth. Regardless of your temptation, you will be secure. But don't face him alone. That's why we need the fellowship of brethren. Too many people have tried and failed. Don't face him alone. There's several passages of scripture I could give you, because, but you know, time is uh, waits on none of us. I ask you to check the scriptures that I've given to you because I want you to know that what I'm telling you comes from God and not just off the top of my head. I'm not opposed to giving opinions, but I'll tell you when they're opinions and I'll tell you when they're not. But Matthew 10, 28, is a, it says this. Don't be afraid of the things in this, of people in this world who can only destroy the body. But you better have a healthy fear of Satan. You better have. Here's what Jesus said. This is in red letter. He said it. Rather be afraid of the one, meaning Satan, who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Don't face him alone. Now, in, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, we can know his strategy. You do that by studying the word of God and by listening to mature, to mature Christians who have had to wrestle with the old boy. My mother used to call him, and I'm going to give you a test. My mother used to refer to Satan as Old Scratch. She would talk, and she seldom ever said Satan or the devil. It's Old Scratch. Does anybody know where that word came from? Actually, it's a good word. A Scandinavian word that comes close to, comes close to Satan that is actually pronounced like Scarch or something like that. And, it, and if, you, if you ever read The Devil and Daniel Webster, you remember reading that he was called Old Scratch. So I'm just checking your IQ. So you can call him Old Scratch, and you'll be out. You'll be, I always thought she'd made it up until I went to school. Each of us also, James says in, in both the first chapter and, uh, and the fourth chapter, be prepared for temptation, but don't blame God for it. Temptation comes from two different places. It comes from our own selfish nature and from the influence of Satan. And so you, you, you know that we're going to be tempted. Men or people are, are, are tempted with men in particular, because I understand men, I am one. As I said, tempt, you know, men are so simple. Women are complicated. 
And they get more complicated as they go. That's just who the women are. They're not simple little things like men are simple. We want food to eat. We want a job that earns money and good sex. We got those. We don't care about anything else. That's the way men are put together. You say, well, you ought to talk that way. I'm just telling you the way it is. Now, it would take 45 minutes and a lot more fingers than I got to, to explain women. And I'll let my wife and women handle that. They can do that better than I can. Now, so how do we deal with the devil? What's the practical advice that we can get here? It's really quite simple, and the Bible is very clear about it. Make agape love your number one priority. Why? Because Satan cannot love. He can't. He's a deceiver. He can fake it. But agape love, and that word agape, that's used of God-type love. For God so loved the world. For God agape the world. The book of 1 John deals with that in, in great length. And I, I really don't have time to, to, to talk about it, and I gave you the scriptures, you can look at it, because if you love, if you agape people, I'm talking about trying to do good to people you don't even like. That's why I really object to the politicians trying to divide black against white and Christians against Muslims and rich against poor. We're all Americans. We're all the children of God. <coughs> and Christians especially. We need to do good to people we don't even like. And in some cases don't even know. If we've got bread and they're hungry, we feed them. And we don't ask them a bunch of dumb questions because they're hungry. Jesus didn't wait till we turned into good people before he died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the word sinner, we don't appreciate sometimes. Matthew does a better job of dealing with that than I do. He says, look, God is the king, and sin is really an act of treason against the king. And we can understand that better. Because a, a person accused of treason can be shot, hung, whatever. It's a serious thing. We have a tendency to soften up sin because we're all part of it. We all do it. But it's really treason against the living God. And the result should be death. The wages of sin, treason, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. So I want you to know that you're saved and you're going to go to heaven when you die. And I'm going to ask you a question. And I want a response. I want to know. And I don't want everybody to shut, bow their head and shut their eyes. I want to know how many of you sitting in this building, several hundred people know you're going to go to heaven when you die. Put your hands up. You got to know this. All right? Those of you who were honest enough not to lift your hands, let me tell you something. There's hope for you too. 
we're all sinners. And Jesus' death on the cross was just as much for you as it was for us. And if you will just ask him, he'll forgive you. Amen to that? Well, I'm going to quit. And uh, I could go on for another hour. I got that good stuff here that I could share with you. But I'm going to quit. And I want you to make me a promise. I want you to go tell somebody this week what Christ has done for you. I want you to tell somebody this week your story. And then invite them to come to church with you. Amen? Amen. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this gathering of people. May the power of the Holy Spirit rest upon them and go with them. Never leave them nor forsake them during this coming week, regardless of the heartache, difficulties, or blessings that come our way. I commit them, Lord, to your care and keeping in Jesus' precious name. And all the people said? Folks, you're free to go. Be generous with those who are less fortunate than you.